Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hey everybody, I hope that what I have to say to you today will be as helpful to you as it has been to me. It's not so much what you're looking at, but where you're looking from that makes the difference in life. It's so easy to feel that you're always looking from under, from beneath, from below. And that is where you find yourself looking at situations from a place that can never make you free. I don't know if you've ever used this phrase, you'll have certainly have heard it, can't see the wood for the trees. Now I found that a little confusing as a kid because I thought, well, if you're in the wood, you can, you can see the wood when you're in the trees because the trees are made of wood. So, so you can see the wood for the trees because the trees are made of wood. Of course, I had a cognitive block on what it really meant and had not understood the lesson it was trying to convey. If we use a different word, it might be more helpful. Can't see the forest for the trees. Maybe that's a bit more helpful. And uh, it certainly helps me anyway. The point being that when you're in the middle of the forest, you can't see that it's a forest. All you can see is, is, is the wood. All you can see is the trees, sorry. All you can see is the trees. And uh, in looking at the trees, it's back to the very principle I was talking about. It then becomes about what you're looking at rather than where you're looking from. And of course, in that situation, there is a sense of lostness. There is a sense of... Uh, uh, being in an inescapable problem. There is a sense of confusion uh, because you're not looking from the perspective of the forest. You're just looking at the situation and circumstance of the trees. And so it can be a situation where you think I will never escape from this. And so what I'm trying to get through to you today is the idea that when you begin to see from a different perspective rather than just looking at the circumstances, then there is a life-changing dynamic that begins to kick in in all of us. Why is it that you can't that you can put two people together in the exact same situation and yet know that they see things so differently? I think pain, hardship, and suffering are often the primary background against which this is observable, but you'll have seen it as much as I've seen it. And I think the, the solution to that is that one person, uh, it's about what they're looking at. The other person, it's about where they're looking from. And so there is a distinct difference that you and I both know and notice and recognize and talk about in, in people's lives in those situations. So putting aside the methods we adopt to simply survive situations rather than overcome them, like avoidance and selective blindness and forced optimism rather than faith-fueled solution, we may be able to accept there is a place from which to look that offers an over rather than under condition. This very point is addressed powerfully and beautifully in something accredited to Paul's writings in the Bible. If that is... 
you're willing to understand it first from the cultural reality under which the people he was speaking to lived. And secondly, if you can translate this as a message to all people for all time regarding where we look from. Now, I appreciate for some of you, the first part of what I'm about to read might sound very ecclesiastical in its language, but that's probably because it is. But it's good anyway, so have a listen to it. It's in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, <coughs> verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Just Let me just stop right there. Eyes of your heart be enlightened. What's he talking about here is, is saying that this is something that happens inside. It's something that is switched on from an internal perspective, what you might call a spiritual perspective, a spiritual way of seeing things. But what he's saying is that the eyes of your heart need to see this from a particular place, not just the eyes of your head look at it in the context of what it is. So you see, Paul's building a picture here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, listen, this is all positive. If this happens to you, he says, you'll know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for, for us who believe. So he's saying there is a way out of the forest, okay? There is, a, there is an issue of if you can change from looking at to understand where you're looking from, there is an outcome that is that is dynamic in its ability and power to to change the very course of your life. He said that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I like that. So he's saying if you catch this, it's like coming alive from the dead. <laughs> and I believe it is. It's like coming alive from the dead which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, listen to this. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So this is about seeing things from a certain position. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So Paul's already pushing the point that whatever situation you are facing... Where you are looking from is critical in determining the outcome, at least of your state of well-being or otherwise. And then he goes on to say, so, so, so seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, here's where that puts you. He says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. This is establishing what that place looks like and, and, and where that place sets you in relationship to what it is that you're looking at. Now, remember, he's talking here to people who've never known anything other than being under the presence of the Roman occupation and the absolute authority and dominion of Roman Caesar. So he's using that imagery to get them to, to in the eyes of their heart, inside, to, to realise that they can sit in a place that he says is at the right hand of God, and, and look from rather than at the situation, uh, from that place rather than at the situation. So he's the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything 
in every way. Then he goes on in the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 6 he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So if you flip that back, that's far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every title that can be given. Title's important, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, and placing everything under his feet, appointing him to be the head over everything. Now, in order to get a context on this, and why this would make so much sense, to those people that he was writing to, you have to know a little bit of history. So let's go back in history and have a little look at the situation that they now found themselves living in in the Roman Empire. So Octavian was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. So this is a very compact version of you can go and research it yourself. And at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, or BCE if you prefer it, Octavian defeated, you'll know these names, Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And now Octavian was the sole survivor with claim to the seat of power in Rome. He immediately declared himself the next Caesar and then made a declaration that has profound implications to our understanding of many statements in scripture. And I think you'll see why when you hear this, what Octavian did. Octavian declared that his father, Julius, Julius Caesar, was a god. And that at his death, he had been taken back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the supreme god. Can you see how these phrases are starting to pop up now? To prove this, he noted that a bright comet had appeared in the sky during Julius's funeral procession. Makes you wonder about the star at Bethlehem. And that this was a sign that Julius was being taken back up to heaven to take his immortalised place among the other gods. If Julius was indeed a god, Julius Caesar, and was in fact in heaven seated at the right hand of the supreme god, then the logical conclusion was that Octavian was the son of God. So can you even see how this issue of son of God becomes a primary subject matter that, that has a certain meaning to the people who would listen to that phrase being used, particularly in, 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 in a country under Roman occupation? Octavian declared that his father had put him in charge on earth. Right? Can, you, can you see what's going on here? And that he was now also a divine ruler as the son of God. He changed his name to Caesar Augustus, the exalted or supreme one. He had statues of himself erected all over Rome with inscriptions on them such as Son of God, Saviour of the world, worshipped Son of the worshipped God and Son of the divine Caesar. So can you see from this why Paul's terminology that he would use to speak to people about position, authority, and where in this wonderful revelation that he was bringing, you would be able to see things from, and the power that would be exerted because of that. That's why every name that is named above every dominion, you know, every power, uh, all of those things that we read, the authorities, the powers, the dominions, had such an impact on the thinking of that community that when Paul mentioned it in his letter, they would immediately understand 
that what he was saying was that we are being invited to take a position where we view everything from an authority that is not just equal to, but greater than that of the greatest authority that we witness and live under here. And that we now have the privilege that would only be afforded to a Caesar, which is to sit in a place where we are not under, but we're above, not below, but over where we can sit in a place where there is an authority that, that, that rests in this position that dictates that now it's not so much what we're looking at, but where we're looking from that determines the outcome of our life. Paul was really saying, you know, I, I know what you're living in and I know what you're living through, but where are you looking from? This is what he was trying to get through to them at that time. Bearing in mind the situation that these people were in, Paul was saying to them this to them that, that you might then see if you can grasp that what he was driving at and how that's perfectly relevant for us today in the question of what you're looking at or where you're looking from. And that's what we're invited here by Paul. We're invited to understand that that is our rightful place that every one of you can adopt if you're willing to do it. So, so when you find that place, how do you know that you find that place? Well, I would say using some of the elements that I've brought to you before, that you know you've found that place. Uh, or should I say, when you've found that place, you know it because it's the place of love. First of all, it's the place where you're no longer striving and struggling within yourself and by the things that you do to try and obtain a state of being loved. But you have accepted that you are loved unconditionally, totally, without reservation, irrespective of and regardless of uh, everything that you may have ever done, being said, thought about yourself. You, you occupy a position of being totally and completely loved and accepted and and that that place of love is also one where love can come from you uh, in the same way that you've been loved if you are not yourself able to receive love it's very difficult for you to truly give love because the love that you will want to give is to try and gain the love from somebody else so you're now actually it's a, it's an effort it that you exert to work to try and be loved yourself. But when it starts from knowing that you are loved, this is why Paul's saying, look, here's, here's the datum point. You're already sat there. This, this is already your condition. If you will accept it and begin there to make the measurements. It's a place of love. It's the place of hope, which is the confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. That's where you now sit. It's the place of faith, which is the inner conviction that all will be well. That's where you now sit, uh, where you're looking from. And there's also one other one I want to put in there, which is the place of gratitude. Gratitude is a very important thing. And when love and hope and faith are working correctly in your life, one of the ways you can know they're working correctly is because you have a spirit of gratitude. Uh, and of course, that spirit of gratitude is, is an obvious expression of the fact that, that it's not what you're looking at, but it's where you're looking from that is determining and dictating your, your grasp of life, your understanding of life, and your ability to, to live and love. 
the place of gratitude. I, I would also call the place of gratitude the land of always enough. When you live in gratitude, you live in a spirit, a heart, a place, a state of always enough. Uh, because your gratitude won't let you live in any other way. And if that's not another, you know, looking from rather than looking at, I don't know what is. The, the, the alternative is that we tend to stop looking from this place that I've just described and, and slip into looking from the place of fear, uh, the place of doubt, the place of despair, because that's what happens when you get stuck in the circumstance, in the situation, and you're looking at rather than looking from. So instead of the place of love, we live in the place of fear. Instead of the place of hope, we live in the place of doubt. Instead of the place of faith, we live in the place of despair. And in the same way that I, I said to you that added to love, hope and faith, we have the place of gratitude. Uh, when you live in the place of fear, doubt and despair, you live in the place of lack, not the place of gratitude. And in the same way that the place of gratitude is the land of always enough, the place of lack is the land of never enough. So too many of us, too many of you and me too often, if we get into that place of fear, doubt and despair where we're looking at rather than understanding the place we should be looking from, we cannot escape living in the place of lack, the land of never enough. Nothing's ever enough. We never have enough. We can never be enough. That's the land of never enough. It's living in the land of lack. But when you're living in the land of gratitude, it's the land of always enough. No striving, no stress, no fuss, uh, but joy and peace and, uh, and all the things that we've, we've talked about a little bit in this talk. So let me finish off by saying this. Maybe it's not so much a matter of looking up to God that we need to grasp because Looking up to God would suggest we are, we are among the trees, right? Looking at the trees, living in the circumstance. And so we need to look up to God who somehow is separate and away from us. And we're stuck in the forest while he's up there. But you see, everything Paul was saying is you're not stuck in the forest. You shouldn't be stuck in the forest. You don't need to see yourself stuck in the forest. And the moment you begin to see the forest, the see, see the trees for what they are as part of the forest, then you will escape. You will come out of that. So, so maybe it's not so much a matter of looking up to God, but a willingness to look down as God. Remember, Paul said he's raised you up and made you sit with him. So if you're sat there and he's over all these things, looking down and they're under his feet, then he's trying to encourage you to see life from that same perspective, which means not looking up to God, but a willingness to look down as God. John Shelby Spong says something, and I'll leave you with this. He says, God is not a noun to be defined. This is this as I've taken his statement and I've, I've cut it down a bit for your sake, but I'll say it this way. This is what, what John Shelby Spong says. God is not a noun to be defined, but a verb to be lived. Maybe this is where we must start. I love you and I'll catch you again another time. Mm -hmm.
for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash QChurchYork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.